You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills, and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much was being sourced overseas, and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that are still making in the UK. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in Britain, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be chatting to inspiring British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering advice to product-based businesses that make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. and welcome to episode number 207 of the Make It British podcast. Today I'm joined by Charlotte Raffo, who's the founder of the Monkey Puzzle Tree, an award-winning business that makes designer fabrics and wallpaper. Charlotte and I chat about her background in polymer science, of all things, how she went on to work for one of the last tanneries in Leeds before it closed, and then worked as a buyer for mamas and papas before she went on to found the Monkey Puzzle Tree, which creates interior products such as wallpaper and fabric, working with artists and designers to produce the most beautiful collection of products. And I highly recommend you take a look at Charlotte's Monkey Puzzle Tree website to see the sort of products that she produced. The Monkey Puzzle Tree make everything within a hundred mile radius of Lees, which is where Charlotte is based, and are totally transparent about who their suppliers are and where their products are made. They've also recently won two awards, a Guildmark for their cork wallpaper and a Best in British Design Award. Charlotte's going to tell us about the process that she goes through in selecting the designers and how she then works with the manufacturers to put those designs onto her fantastic products. So I hope you enjoy this interview. Hello, Charlotte. Thank you for joining me today. Hello, Kate. You're fresh off the stage from our, or the virtual stage from our virtual conference last week. Yes. And yeah, you were brilliant. The week before? Yes. It was the week before. And also, Fresh off the stage, collecting an award for something as well. So we'll get onto that in a bit because uh, you're an award-winning podcast guest today, aren't you? Uh, yes, I suppose I am. Not, <laughs> not, not, not award-winning for giving podcasts. I'd like to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be brilliant. So do you want to start by telling everyone, because actually I don't know this, what, what is your background originally before you set up Monkey Puzzle Tree? Uh, so possibly a bit different from um, a lot of textile and wallpaper design people. So uh, originally um, I did a colour and polymer chemistry degree um, because I actually oh, always, wow. I always wanted to go into textile uh, design or do something a bit designy. But my parents, um, being an engineer and scientist, were like, oh, you'll never get a job. This was in the late 90s, mid to late 90s as well. So um, not a great time for textile manufacturing as you know um so I was kind of um although I didn't really do like science as well I was sort of steered to the science direction and I kind of figured that colour and polymer chemistry was the most interesting sounding (laughs) science degree I could find so that's what I did um wow polymer chemistry I didn't even know that that's kind of textile related I suppose isn't it when it comes to yeah yeah well it was it was originally it was actually originally dye chemistry but because the textile industry was so uh sort of shrinking at the time I think they kind of brought in this polymer um the polymer aspect which was 
it's just like plastics and stuff, which is uh, interesting how things have moved on in the last 25 yes. years. So, um, yeah, I did that. And then I was just so, so lucky when I graduated. I like, didn't want to leave Leeds and um, saw these sort of boring graduate jobs and I wasn't sure what to do. And I saw this advert for a job in a tannery in Leeds. Um, ah, Steads. Uh, no, Steads? not Steads. No? It was Pittards. Uh, yeah, Steads to suede. Pittards did uh, leather for like Louis Vuitton handbags. Yeah. Like, they did the, the, the veg tent, the kind of um, the, the pale leather that you see on the monogram bags. And then I think it was called Epi. The, the, there's like um, all sorts of different leathers that they did for Louis Vuitton. And also shoes like Maryland Camper, um, Footjoy golf shoes, kind of all sorts of different leathers, um, but footwear and handbags and things that kind of leather so it's like just a completely crazy smelly place um of kind of like just things that you don't even realize happen i suppose until you work somewhere like that like yeah sort of, i've been to a tannery they're quite um they're quite interesting places i, I take yeah. it you weren't vegetarian or vegan at the time no uh no i'm not vegetarian or vegan <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it was uh yeah, it was quite a smelly place, but also like really interesting. Just how hands-on it was. Like we used to sand physically sandpaper bits of leather with by hand and just stuff like that. Like that was down. It wasn't even a really production line, but and by putting it onto kind of uh, textured polystyrene, and we just create all these effects. And it was just really exciting and right, really interesting how hands-on it was. I just loved being in a place where you could actually have an idea and then do it in real life and actually create a product there and then it was amazing um and then sadly the tannery shut down in 2006 and yeah, people lost they've... their jobs so but they've still got one in somerset haven't they Pitar? yes i didn't know they yeah. had one in leeds so the somerset branch does gloving leather which is completely different yeah um so yes uh, a sort of i think a handful of people moved down to yeovil um and I think some people moved to Taiwan. I think there was like a, like our stuff went to Taiwan. Um, but obviously the majority of people didn't move. A lot of people kind of yeah. lost their jobs. And, it's really um, sad. A few people went to Stead, as you've yeah, as you said. Yeah, the um, But a lot, of the, a lot of the jobs and those skills were kind of lost, which I thought was just such a shame, really. And uh, like we still meet up every year. Uh, in a big pub, pub in the centre of Leeds, uh, but most people aren't aren't in the leather industry anymore, obviously, because there's not much of it about. Um, so I thought it was just like such a shame that all that skills lost, and you can't really get it back because those people, some of them had been there for like forty years, and yeah. they've got nobody to pass those skills down to. So even if you built a new tannery now, you know you you wouldn't you wouldn't have that kind of knowledge. So that's why um, part of the reason the the business is to help help that not happen again. Yeah, after that shut down, I then became, um, uh, I did some, I moved to Mamas and Papas, which is a nursery brand, which is based in Huddersfield. Um, and I worked on design and development for push chairs. And then I was the textile and components buyer for 10 years. So Very different then, really, isn't it? Yeah, and that was sourcing. Calories. Yes, that was sourcing fabrics from Europe, but mainly Taiwan and China. So, yeah, that was very different. But good, yeah. to, good to have different experiences. So back to your pitards, actually. Sadly, I think Marks and Spencers were quite a big orchestrator yeah. of what happened because I was on the leather department of M&S up to 2004. 
and Pittards were still quite a big supplier to M&S. And I think that was probably being pushed by the M&S buying team to get better margins that they had to then shift their tannery to Taiwan, which again is one of the reasons I do what I do now, because that's really sad to think yeah. that, that, that that industry was totally lost in Leeds. Really yeah, sad. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. And you kind of think, well, if, if it had managed to hang on for another maybe 10 years, perhaps it would have come back a bit. Like if it was here now, I think it might have been doing a bit better. Yeah, because Steads is still going, supplying suede. Yes, it is. I pass there yeah. every day on the way to work. So Yeah. So you were at Mama's and Papa's for 10 years. And then did you? how did you end up then setting up your own business? Did you get the itch to, to leave and do something more creative yourself? Yeah, well, I always wanted to do something more creative. But, uh, well, the truth of the matter is that I got made redundant. Um, so, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't leave my reasonably well-paying job to do this uh, entirely by choice because I think that maybe maybe would have been I'm not that would have been a bit too risky I would have thought at the time but um yeah I got made redundant so I suppose that's a bit of a for a lot of people that's kind of a bit of a time for change isn't it and um, yeah and I had I had been thinking for a while for a reason yeah well yeah I'm not really learning anything new it'd be nice to do something new but also because I didn't want to move from Yorkshire your options are actually quite restricted you know obviously if I moved to London there'd be a lot more opportunity down there but there's actually not that much choices that like a kind of a few industries everyone kind of circulates around um in this area so I was kind of umming and ahhing and then my friend um Sarah Thornton who's an artist was sort of saying oh I've got all this art and I'd love to put it on fabrics but I don't know how to do it and I was like well yeah I could do it but it's not really a job is it and it was her idea that she was like well why don't you just do it and you sort it out and then you could just pay me a royalty and I was like oh yeah that's that's quite a good idea ah so that's how it came about so do you want to tell everyone then what it is that monkey puzzle tree does and how you involve the artists in your business yeah so we collaborate with different artists and uh to make fabrics and wallpapers which are kind of really quite unique as well in their kind of construction, not just not just their design. Um, and uh, we pay 20% royalty back to help support them. And we make everything within 100 miles of our lead studio. Now, how many artists have you got that you currently work with? Yes, uh, we've got around around seven people. We're just taking on another couple for the next over the next couple of years. But it's quite a long um, process doing the design. We put loads of sort of energy and effort into doing something that's really new and innovative so because we haven't got very high turnover of um new new designs uh so how do you go about selecting the artists then and you say you pay them a commission so once you do that do you own their design do you work on the design with them then yeah so i work on the design with them um and it's quite an in-depth process and i do depending on what it is sometimes i do more or less of the design work like most of the most of the artists that we work with haven't done pattern repeats before or certainly not sort of large-scale textiles and that kind of thing so um we work on the design together and then um and also deciding what it's going to be like the real cork wallpaper for drew millward's hit the north um you know like deciding to put it on cork and what it's going to be so it's sort of more than just a a print on a substrate if you like um yeah yeah, sorry, what was the start of that question was? Uh, <laughs> uh, how do I choose the artist? Yes, yeah. So yeah. how do you choose the artist that you work with? So that started off with, obviously, Sarah, who was 
who is a friend of mine um, and Joel, who I also knew. And then I had um, Alexis Snell was, um, I think my friend was following her on Instagram. So there was that kind of initial core of artists. And then um, I realised that they were all quite local just by fluke at that point. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to make this into a thing and how am I going to go about choosing people in the future, that it would be good to actually just select people from the local region because brilliant you've, you've sort of got to set some parameters somewhere because obviously I can't work with thousands of people how do you how do you kind of cut that down a bit um so I decided that I would just work, work with local local artists uh, which made it a bit easier to select people um so then we worked with Alexis Drew Sarah Jane Palmer um so that was going really well and then I was thinking well if I'm going to represent the north of England and this or kind of Yorkshire area, uh, I need to look at kind of how ethnically diverse the artists are, are because actually at the moment they're just kind of people I know and people I know of people I know uh, within sort of my social circle. So I made a real effort um, a couple of years ago probably now um, to sort of look further afield and get the word out there. So we've taken on Josephine McKeever and uh, Simon Cow. So which was really great because I'd actually put this call out for new artists and all the work I got was really boring and really samey. And I, I think there was like six people gave me lemur drawings. I was like, I really don't <laughs> want to do any lemurs. Uh, my son really likes lemurs, but that's not a reason to do to do. Well, I want something like part of the point of the business is to do something that's not trend related. Yeah. And is really different from what else is on the market. So one of the things I look at is I want someone who's kind of almost had the same style for ages. Like a lot of the artists we work with, they've been doing the same thing for maybe 20 years so then you kind of know it's not like a flash in the pan trend yeah it's it's a real like their signature yeah represents them so actually by kind of putting more effort into trying to find people from different backgrounds that massively paid off and I got some really interesting work that I think had I not done that I wouldn't I wouldn't have found like Josephine's only three miles away but in all that time I'd never come across her so it just shows that sometimes you've got to try and put real effort into reaching outside of your sort of circle of people that you normally come into contact with. Yeah so when it came to to working with your suppliers and finding the suppliers that would produce the products how did you go about doing that? Well I think while I was at Mamas and Papas uh, somebody from Stanfast and Barracks visited me and showed me this velvet that I just thought was absolutely amazing. But at the same time, there's no way I could use it. Um, at mamas sure and papas. That, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you've had that experience before where you're sat there going, yes, that's amazing. But yeah, it's not, it's not going to It's not gonna happen here. Um, so I think that was always kind of lurking in the back of my mind. So that was one of the, in fact, that was the first fabric um, I did was that velvet. And then after that, um, kind of got more confident. And I suppose... Stanfast and Barracks are owned by the same company, I think, as the wallpaper company, Anstey. Ah, uh, yes, that, I think that they I are. Use, so that, yeah. um, that link to them. And then, obviously, once you get slightly better known, people start approaching you with different offers. So um, recently, I've been working with Stead McAlpin um, on the yeah. last two fabrics. So are they digitally printed or screen printed, your fabrics and wallpapers? They're all different. So we've got um everything like um the one that you can see in the background metamorphosis that's a flatbed screen print that stead McAlpin did which was like 
just a monumental effort. <laughs> it's like four, four, they just put, had to put so much work into it. I'm really grateful for them. They had to put, um, so it was four screens, but um, Kirsty, the artist, she does like this marbling. She does like a random marbling effect. And then I think it's called pareidolia where she sees like different faces and tendrils and things and picks them out of the marbling. So when we came to make this into a fabric, we got the first screens like a half tone one where you build up different shades um, and then it, and then there's a metallic layer. It's all different kinds of screens basically to get the effect, but there's only four screens because we couldn't afford to do any more than that. So we had to make something that looked good within those kind of parameters. And then we've got digital print on cork. Um, there's a voil, burnout voil fabric where you sort of screen print um, yeah. an ink that eats away at part of the fibre so you get like a kind of see-through neck curtain sort of effect and all kinds of different things um i'm really interested in the process because that's my yeah of course yeah and and the, the kind of the technical chemical side of printing as well yeah and for our latest fabric all tomorrow's futures we actually got that woven from scratch in um a little mill in barnoldswick um mitchell interflex they've so that's a like completely exclusive base base fabric as well, which was really interesting to go and see that being woven. Amazing. So you mentioned there about the print on cork, which I know you're the first person to do that, aren't you? The, the I don't know if we, we, you've done it. Yeah, maybe one of the first. Certainly very we were very early with that i'm a big fan of cork i've got cork flooring on in the whole of my house it's a it's a fantastic sustainable lovely material i think for the home yeah i think it's really nice and warm and it's also got like real acoustic benefits as well which is really good for wallpaper particularly if you've got like a kind of quite a noisy open plan area so yeah i think that's that's probably one of our most successful designs well it, it won a design guild mark but also it's probably sold most as well i think has it yeah i bet it has i maybe i know that my, my acoustics aren't great for the podcast in here i've got a cork floor i probably need to get cork walls as well then i need some of your wallpaper to match yes <laughs> <laughs> who prints that for you is it anstey yes anstey print the cork wallpaper and they've been really um just really helpful i think it just goes to show that if you've got a good relationship with your supplier um they'll kind of go out of their way to do new stuff and we've got um i'm doing something else with them at the moment for release next year which is also quite challenging and um you know it's, it takes quite a lot of work for them but um hopefully we'll come up with something really different they probably love working with you because you do do all these new things yeah i think it's exciting i don't think i'm making much money but, <laughs> but it's interesting at least so you mentioned there your your awards then tell us all about the awards that you've won for the business uh, um so we've won two awards this year uh somehow <laughs> design we've won a design guild mark for our uh real cork hit the north wallpaper um which is for excellence in design in the british furnishing industry um, amazing and then uh well a week before last we won best in british product design um at the hotel design sprit list which was really surprising to be honest um obviously really nice uh for our metamorphosis fabric which is one you can see behind us you should be no I, you say it's really surprising but i'm not surprised because i think you know you're really talented and your product is really unique and different and that's you know that's obviously been recognized do you do you enter a lot of awards because it can take quite a long time can't it to 
to enter awards, fill in all the applications. Do you have any tips for people listening to this about how to get a good application in for an award and how to even define which awards to enter? Yeah, I don't I don't enter loads. Um, actually, I just sort of, I suppose I've entered the ones that I thought I might have a chance. Well, like, I think you you did one, didn't you? Uh, what was it? The um, Your British... Oh, the Great British Entrepreneur Award. Yeah, so I looked at that and I just thought, you know what, I haven't got a hope in hell of winning that. Um, so I didn't, I just thought... Oh, you should just, have entered Just quit while you're ahead, you know. Uh, yeah, I thought my figures, if they're not going to start looking at my figures, I'm, I'm, prob- I'm probably not going to win that. And also, more importantly than, than that, I'm not sure how relevant it is to my customers. Hmm. Yeah. Whereas if you've won something from the hotel industry and the design industry. Yeah. So a design, a, a design award is really useful for me, I suppose, as a, as a design business to show, to give, mm. a, give a bit of credibility to the brand, especially when you're new, it's quite hard. And if, if you're at the top end as well, you're expecting people to spend a lot of money on something that maybe they've not heard of, or you've not been around for very long. So that's why I think it's, that's kind of why I've done it. And, um, hopefully yeah. hopefully that's going to pay off but yeah i think i think you need to look at which which awards because it does take does take quite a long time and the design guild mark one actually we were supposed to go down to london to present uh, because of covid i couldn't so I had to do a three minute video um which is a slightly like a pitch cr- yeah slightly cringy i've put it on my website because it just took forever to do as well you're like three minutes that's not very long but and also i had to use kind of existing footage because it was during lockdown so I had to scrape stuff together, um, so yeah, that took that took quite quite a while. And I'd, it was twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. I'd done two entries, so I had to do two videos. So I got, uh, I think I got to the shortlist for one, and we won won the other. So that was good, uh, but it was it was quite a lot of work. Mm. But obviously it pays off. Um, I also think I always give you as a good example of someone because I say, got a company that makes in the UK. And what people buy into now is the story of your brand and the provenance and the story. And if you don't have a kind of big heritage name behind you, or like you say, you're an unknown brand, how do you get that story across? And I think you're a great example. You've got a brilliant video on your about page where you've actually got someone else to interview you telling the story of how you work with the artist. So what I think you've done is you've brought in the names of the artists you work with to help you build build a brand around them haven't you so you've you've created it from other people's existing businesses which i think is really clever yeah uh i'm not sure how successful it <laughs> i do think that's successful most of the artists i work with don't aren't really uh necessarily so good at like promoting themselves and stuff so it doesn't always yeah, exactly quite, quite as well as it as it might do but you can only sort of try your best and and hopefully hopefully that comes across um, yeah, well, that's. I think I suppose that's probably similar. Artists are probably quite similar to manufacturers in that respect. Is they yeah. do great things and make amazing products or artwork, but then they're so busy creating that they're not very good at marketing themselves. So you're obviously very good at the marketing side. Oh, thanks. That's nice of you to say. So that's one of my things that I had never done before. So um, that's been a big, big learning curve. But it just takes so long as well. I think it's a lot. Yeah. Of, it's very time consuming, isn't it? As you know. So do you wholesale? What are your routes to market aside from your own website? How else do you get your your name out there and your products out there? So mainly um, through, I suppose, interior designers are 
my main customer. So I try and find those through uh, trade fair. So I've just done Decorex, which is the luxury interiors fair in London. Um, and I do also do Clark and Will Design Week. And I think I'm going to do a surface design show in February. Uh, most of my customers are, obviously I'm in Leeds, but most of my customers I think are London and kind of in the Southeast probably. So it's quite, I think a lot of similar brands who are based in London maybe like bump into or have a lot of local connections, which I don't have. So I, I think it's quite important for me to do trade fairs. Yeah, yeah. And then what are the trade fairs? You then meet the interior designers who then specify your work for yes. things like hotels. Yeah, although that's quite a long, I have to say that is quite a long um, route to market. You know, it takes me yeah. a really long time, sometimes three years before somebody makes a purchase. Really? Because it takes that long for the interior designer to then put it forward on some sort of yeah. presentation. Yeah, you've got to wait for the right project. They've got to trust you. Then you've got to wait for the right project to come up and then they might suggest you for a couple of different projects, but maybe only one goes through and then it might be like a really long, you know, like some sort of new build thing. So, yeah. you for it to, so yeah, it's just like, uh, I suppose, compared to like being in fashion or something, it's a super, super long um, yeah. wait for for making sales. <laughs> Yeah. So do you do you make to order in that case if it's something like a new hotel or do you hold stock of everything? So we, no, we hold stock because we can't really make for order because our processes are too complicated. So we have quite large minimums. So, yeah, we're holding uh, quite a lot of stock. I mean, if there was like um, I'm in contact with a few possible hotel projects at the moment and, you know, if there's something, I suppose, a bit more bespoke that was in a large quantity, then we might do that. But also, the lead time would be, I mean, like our most recent fabric, because we had that actually woven from scratch. Yeah. You can imagine that the lead time to get something woven from yarn and then printed, you're talking like maybe three months or even though it's yeah, super local. what the yarn is. What is the yarn? Is it a cotton? Um, it's linen. It's a linen cotton. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And then you're printing on top of it. That, yeah. Ah, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, quite a few processes there, even if you are doing it in the UK. Yeah, so even though, you know, I could, like, drive there in an hour or something, actually, I mean, factories do have long lead times as well sometimes, don't they, as well? You know, they've got other work to plan in, so you can't just click your fingers and yeah. expect it to be done. And it's not – and I've sort of done that deliberately because I think it's quite tricky if you're any – well, fashion brand, interiors brand. Obviously, you're up against a lot of people like – John Lewis and lots of lots of other brands. You've got to do something that's in order for me to. I'm not going to be able to buy at the same price that John Lewis are because I don't buy those quantities. So, in order for me to be able to command my prices, I've got to do something that's really different from what everybody else is doing. And and I think sort of in a way make it more difficult. So it's harder to copy. Yeah, yeah. So in some ways that's deliberate because you know I know that it's going to be. Even if somebody tries to sort of rip off one of our designs, actually, it's going to be quite challenging. It's going to cost them quite a lot of money, so they might just not bother. Yeah. Have you had any trouble with anyone copying? Yeah, I've had design? a few. I've sort of not really done it. There's, there's been a few very similar um, copies of our earlier, earlier designs, and I'm sure more will come out. So really, that's why the direction that I'm going in is trying to make it more difficult for people to... Yeah do copies because that's just yeah a problem isn't it in the, in the industry and like I knew that when I started so it's not it's not a shock 
Yeah, I mean, you worked in retail, so you know how the whole system works and it's got worse. I recently interviewed uh, Monica Young on the podcast and she's had, she's a clothing brand, sustainable clothing brand, and she's had Chinese factories rip off her dress and sort of sell them for a fiver, which is just mortifying. Yeah, I heard Um, that one. That's terrible. Yeah. So less, I suppose, you get that less in homeware. Yeah. Maybe Maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. You probably get it late. I suppose maybe I'm just not selling the volume that clothing sells. And it's a lot more of a, especially the kind of thing that I'm selling, like for curtains and wallpaper, it's not really an instant buy. So, yeah, I don't think it's as much of a problem, but I think it's still a bit of an issue. Yeah. So whereabouts, you say you're based in Leeds. Are you in a studio or something? Where do you work out of? Yeah, I'm in a studio uh, in a very, very unglamorous part of Leeds, um, just outside the centre in an industrial estate. Uh, it's like a business centre with lots of different different businesses. Um, so, yeah, I've got my stock here and a cutting table. So that's that's where I work. So if someone was to order some fabric off your website today, then it would be you on the cutting table, cutting it to the right length for them? Yes, me or maybe my husband or, yeah, some, <laughs> yeah. Do you work alongside like anyone that makes the curtains or uses your fabric and makes it up into finished products? Um, there's a few people who I might recommend or who I work with, but not not on like an official collaboration because it sort of depends where people live and yeah, yeah. It's gonna be quite low. Well, usually, you'd, if you've got a big piece of furniture, you're not gonna like post it up to Leeds if you're down. No, so, so usually you choose local people. Um, so people will use your fabric to upholster chairs and sofas and things like that? Yeah, I get a lot of people who've maybe inherited a piece of furniture, so it's got some real sentimental value and they want something that, that just kind of update it, but also something that's really nice to make it into a, like a real kind of, I don't know, like a heritage piece almost, um, which I think is quite a nice nice use of it. Yeah. Because actually it's really expensive to upholster a piece of furniture. Like more, you know, you, you, most of the time you could buy something new for Yeah for cheaper than it costs to reupholster. So I think when people have got something that's got real sentimental value um, or something that they particularly like, like an antique, then they, they're sort of prepared to spend more money on some beautiful fabric for it. Yeah, brilliant. So um, aside from doing the shows then, how else do you um, promote your business, Monkey Puzzle Tree? Uh, well, there's the website. I do um, a fairly regular newsletter, maybe like, Every week or every two weeks. Good. Um, You've been listening to my tips on my podcast then. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of, I used to do it every month and then I think it was over lockdown. I sort of upped it uh, once a week or it's probably gone back down to once every two weeks now. Do you um, find it makes a difference though? Yeah, I think that is quite good. Um, I think especially with, I mean, it's not particularly salesy. It's more like stories kind of behind the brand and stuff. But for my kind of product, it takes, like I said, it takes a long time really for somebody to actually decide to, buy it so that's really helpful and then sometimes put videos in and things in it um and i do some social media but maybe not as much as other similar brands um mm. not really done any working with influencers or anything yet um but yeah it's all a learning curve isn't it i've tried tried facebook ads with mixed success yeah yeah because um, i said because because you're buying 
cycle is quite long, like you say. Something like Facebook ads probably don't work so much because that's more instant. People will see something there, see it, like it, buy it. Whereas yours is more about keeping in people's minds. They see you at the show, then they get your newsletter. Yeah, very much so. And I think it's quite hmm. hard to measure as well because you can't, you know, like it might take, because it usually takes about 18 months for somebody to make a purchase. You don't know until you've, they've made that, until no, you've made that exactly. where that where that person's come from. So that that can be quite tricky. And like, for example, at Clark, I did Clarkmile Design Week, I think it was May 2019, and that resulted in um, the court walk, wallpaper being featured on Your Homemade Perfect on BBC Two was it last June, so June 20. Oh, brilliant. June 2021, so two years yeah. uh, from that sort of chance meeting at a trade fair. And then I suppose you don't know if someone watches that programme. If someone buys from you, unless they explicitly say that's where they saw it, they might have seen it on that programme but still not be planning to decorate their house for a few years and then think, oh, I remember that court printed wallpaper. Yeah, I mean, we did send out loads and loads and loads of samples after that programme, the most ever, but how many of those will turn into sales in the future? We'll see. Yeah. Do you get much press? Do you? How do you go about getting any press that you've had? Um, so at the moment, I'm on Pressloft. Um, okay. I think, which now I think you can pay to have. So basically you, up, you upload photos and you pay like a monthly subscription. Now they've done it so you can just pay for like how many photos you want, I think I've got 30 that are live. And then journalists, you kind of um, tag the photos and journalists can decide, um, search by tag. So they might search uh, like a recent trend, like cottage core or something. So, and if your photo comes up, then they might use you in, um, use you in, in, a, in the feature that they're writing. So that's, that's been okay. That's been quite good. Um, the only thing is you have to quite good photos i think it works better if you've got loads of photos or if you keep changing them which yeah. can be a bit challenging um but i can't really afford to pay somebody to do my pr so and i actually think that pr a lot of the time is better if you do it yourself anyway because i mean how did the tv thing come about so that that was meeting laura the architect at clark and well design Week. oh of course yeah you said okay and then she did the the tv show yeah yeah so it was all networking and being in the right place at the right time. Bit of luck, a great product, a really good story to tell, which you have got. And yeah, so but I mean, I have done loads of trade fairs. To be honest, I dread to think how much I've spent. So, and I think you're not you tracking it. No, I think if I tracked it, I just wouldn't be doing it. I, I think it's quite hard when you're like in a business that's so long term to start. Like you could really. I'm not saying that like I'm not a complete idiot but you know if you get too tied up in the figures of what you spent when actually it's a long-term investment yeah you just, it's a you marketing just drive yourself yeah. you just drive yourself mad because I don't come back from Decorex and think oh I've made this amount of profit because I haven't like yeah two and years that's later we, that was and we tried to explain that to people that did took stands at our make it British live event actually um a lot of the manufacturers in particular would think well, if I haven't walked away with a written order here and now, then then I haven't covered the cost of my stand. Whereas actually, I know for a fact that a lot of people will then start working with those manufacturers at a later date. They just maybe didn't need a knitwear manufacturer at the time or someone to supply that sort of fabric. And it, it's, it's about, like you say, being in the right place 
be, being seen to be there and doing it for networking. And that's how you kind of build up your um, your authority and people like you, you've almost got to be at Decorex, haven't you, if you're in your industry? Yeah, I think so. There is a huge investment, particularly I have to say if you're not local, because like I had to stay in London for eight days with my car. So, I mean, that really adds. Yeah. Is that how much it is? How long it is? Eight days. Decorate. Well, it's four days, but you have to do your own stand build up. So, like, obviously, it takes me, well, like six hours to drive down from Leeds. So, that's a pretty much a day because sometimes, like, the M1 show or something takes ages. So, I can't really set up on the same day that I drive down. Um, and then there's two day, two or three days set up, two days build up because you've got to lay your own floor, your own painting. Like, so I came down in my seven seater and brought all my paint, all my uh, wallpaper, paper paste, a carpet. Oh my gosh. So it's like a massive, <laughs> just a massive undertaking. And then just like, p- just parking the car for eight days is expensive enough. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a big, just a big effort and cost investment, definitely. But yeah, it's a bit different to our show where you have a shell scheme and a few people would just bring a rail of fabric swatches and, and a sign and yeah. away you go. Yeah. Much bigger investment. Yeah. And I suppose because it's quite a lot of money as well, you kind of want to do you want to do something that's look, going to look really good and stand out. And as a small brand, like I haven't got the budget, but I at least want to put the effort into making something where people stop who haven't, maybe haven't heard of me and go, Oh wow. What's that? That's amazing. So, yeah. So what are your plans for the monkey puzzle tree over the next five years then? Ooh, there's a question. Uh, well, I guess <laughs> there's a question gonna... I didn't warn you about. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I'm pretty, pretty much carrying on as I'm, as I am doing, we've got two new designs coming out in the next couple of years with new artists. Um, I'm just going to carry on doing like really different and new things. And uh, yeah, and hopefully, well, I'd like to think that I'll be able to sort of really start paying the artist like a good wage. Like the original idea is that I'll be able to pay the artist a sort of very small monthly wage so that that kind of helps support them for their other stuff that they're doing. Um and kind of takes a bit of a, a money worry away. So that that would be nice and to carry on supporting the manufacturers. Um, what I've just done in the last month or so is I've nearly finished it, but I'm updating my website so that it um, actually gives on my website the names of every single manufacturer that I use under each product. Oh, yes. I remember you saying that. Yeah. Are you going to do a kind of a map of where they're all – because you said they're a hundred, within a 100-mile radius of – Yeah. Well, I haven't done, a, haven't done a map, but I've, I've, I've listed it. So, like, with a cushion, you've got obviously the – where the fabric's woven, where it's printed, where the cushion's made, where the labels come from. So, yeah, yeah in a kind of spirit of transparency and also promoting Brilliant. Um, manufacturers. I, I was in a bit of a dilemma. In fact, I think it was you that put the idea into my head, Kate. But I was in a bit of a dilemma for a while because a few people had sort of asked me, like, well, where do you get your court wallpaper made? And I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to answer that question because are you yeah. just going to go and make court wallpaper? But now I just think, well... It's but maybe the advantages outweigh the disadvantages and it's better to be transparent. And I know that that's a quite a big movement in fashion, isn't it? That yeah. sort of transparency and showing that where each bit's made is, is a good thing. Um, yeah. And also you've got a great relationship with those suppliers. So if people do turn up there and because they're going to find out where it is anyway at some point. So yeah. if you've been transparent, everyone knows that, you know, Charlotte gets her court wallpaper printed here um and you've supported them by doing that then 
they're not likely to suddenly oust you out in favour of a newbie that comes along. Well, yeah, I hope so. And I mean, they have been really supportive as well. So, um, like, they have to they have to put loads of effort into me because I'm always asking for the most awkward and they can't pull the wool over your eyes and say that's not possible because you're like well I've got a degree in polymer science and I know you can do it yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure the degree really has any impact on that but but I know that when I did work in a tannery it was always like kind of down to the person on the shop floor like the salespeople come to us and go can you do this and depending on who you ask they'd be like oh no chance or or like well yeah maybe you know I kind of think sometimes there's always a way around it just depends how much effort you want to put in yeah and it's yeah and it's also it's finding the right manufacturer who is willing to do that for you and partner with you and can see the long-term value in doing it yeah. um and i think there's more uk manufacturers now that are willing to do something a bit different i think a, gone are the days where there's the old guys that are like no i'm not going to do that love you can't do that anymore i think yeah there's well a lot i think more that was more flexible yeah, I have to say, I think that is that has historically been a bit of a fault of manufacturing. And even when I used to work at Mamas and Papas, I, like some of these sort of Italian, I used to go to sort of Italian jacquard mills, and I used to think, oh, you're actually quite like a bit a bit arrogant with it. And and actually, some of the mills in China and Taiwan are fantastic, and some of those companies that I work with were really amazing and such nice people. And you'd kind of think, well. You can't just you can't just say, "Oh, we're Italian, therefore we're great." You actually yeah. have to be great, and I think that applies to British manufacturing as well. It's not good yeah. enough just to be British. You have actually got to be really good or offer something different as well, like like sort of going the extra mile to do new techniques and things. Yeah, that's spot on, Charlotte. Yeah, you're totally right. And yeah, when I was in the leather industry, we used to go to that Linear Pele leather show. Did you ever go to that? Oh yeah, my god. Times. Yeah, that was painful. I know what you mean about that certain attitude of we're Italian and we're, our leather is the best. But at the same time, I think the Brits are the opposite sometimes. It's not having that, oh, we're, our product is the best. So, But, yeah, it's like you say, it hasn't can't just be about the fact that it's British or it's made here. It's got to have that extra, that extra angle to it, that extra story, which you've got at the Monkey Puzzle, definitely. And how did the name come about? Um, well... When I was born, my parents planted a monkey puzzle tree because um, my mum's quite into plants. And uh, it sort of grew with me. And there's all these really embarrassing photos of me in fancy dress as a kid having photos taken next to this monkey puzzle tree that was tiny, like when I was six. And then it sort of it just got really big and had a huge growth spurt. And then the year that I got married, it had cones for the first time. And then uh, the year that I had kids, it actually had baby monkey puzzle trees started no way so just randomly in that year in fact i didn't even realize that i think it was my dad did it in his uh in, in my wedding you know father of the bride wedding speech mentioned it i was like i didn't even know that um so i thought that was quite cool but then the tree got so big it was gonna it was um gonna have to be cut down because it was like encroaching on the house um which was really really sad so that's part of, that's why i sort of decided to name the, the business after it um ah. and also I think the tree itself is quite an unusual, odd, quirky-looking tree, but also it's been around since, like, dinosaur times. Like, it's been around forever, and it's actually really um, kind of res quite a resilient 
tree. So although it's sort of different and quite exotic looking, it's 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 really resilient. And actually, there's loads of them in Leeds planted in like traffic islands in random places. Oh, really? I love them. I think they're the most beautiful tree, definitely. So the one at your parents' house, then they've trimmed it down, but it's still there, yeah? No, no, it's been cut down. Oh, gosh, what, totally gone? Yeah, it's totally... Well, it's actually in bits in my mum's garage because she wants to get a oh, chair no. made out of it or something. But yeah, it has that's to be... That's a really sad ending to the story. <laughs> well, that's why I called the business that. So I was like, well, it's not gone. It's sort of living on. But yeah, she, yeah. my mum never realised how, how huge it was going to grow. In, like, Well, I'm 42, so it's 42. <laughs> but it was, it was cut down a couple of years ago. It was like, it was absolutely massive. And it was kind of the branches were sort of climbing into my parents' <laughs> into the window so they had to, they had to do something about it which was sad but but the babies still exist oh brilliant oh that's so, there is a yeah. happy ending then yeah there is oh. A happy ending. <laughs> oh charlotte you've been such a wonderful guest i love i love that story to end on as well thank you very much for joining me on the make it british podcast just before we go tell everyone where they can find and see your beautiful products thank you so um the website is the monkeypuzzletree.com um and we're on Instagram at the underscore monkey puzzle tree. Um, Brilliant. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, take care. Thank you. Thanks Bye. so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Friday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. Many of the interviews that you hear on series four of this podcast are also available to watch on our YouTube channel. You can find it by going to youtube.com forward slash make it British LTD. That's make it British with the letters LTD. Bye bye. Bye.